1: By law. Terms and conditions.
0: Plus. Cricket is back and in full swing. William Hill is the place to be for cricket punters this year with a suite of offers across all formats of the game, domestically and internationally. Check out all William Hill's in-play offers, along with all the latest odds and promotions at williamhill.com or on the free app, 18+. Please gamble responsibly.
2: Hello and uh, welcome to Middle, please, umpire. My name is Miles Jupp, and uh, I'm joined as ever by Mark Wood, Ashes winner, World Cup winning bowler, Britain in Bloom silver medalist, uh, Ashington's Mister Pumpkin, 2014 to 2016 <laughs> inclusive. <laughs>
3: um, how are you, Mark? I'm good. How are you, jobstar I'm working on a. a I'm going to come up with a, I think a few different ones and just see which one you like the best. I'm going to start with Jobster.
2: Yeah, okay. I've had I've certainly had that um Jupster Jupper yeah, that often sort of
3: I feel I feel like a is more like a hey, come on fella kind of guy in the field. You know that you know you have the guy that says fella a lot. Yeah, yeah. He would call you Jupster. Alright, fella.
2: Yes, it's a very there was a sort of period on the stand up circuit where that's what people when people were bantering with the front row, they would always call them. All right, fella. What's your name, fella? Um uh, yes, and also, I mean, any, anything that you think would be a nice way of encouraging me in the field, Mark, would be quite, come on, uh, that sort of thing. Just, just Could you just get down lower? There's only, only about three have come to you.
3: Um, so, yeah, something just sort of gentle. What about when you're bowling? Have you ever had sort of Jupiter or nice Jupiter out of this world? you see, I'm, you see where my head's at? I,
2: yes, I can. Uh, well, I mean, it's almost a hypothetical. Things sort would of have had to have gone very badly. We'd either have to be a very long way ahead in the game or things to be going very badly for me to be sort of me to be called on. Really, did have If I told you this about, I remember bowling a like a probably about fifteen or sixteen ball over when David Troughton, uh, father of Jim,
3: uh, was umpiring. Son of the actor in Jason and the Argonauts, knew it well. That's right. He was umpiring,
2: and he's a nice guy, and he could see that I'm sort of dreadful. And he was, I mean, he was trying to sort of talked me through it as well but <laughs> so, I mean you have to keep and he got to the point where he was actually you know a sort of he umpires a lot in the Birmingham leagues or whatever I'm sure he can be very sort of strict when he needs to be but he was saying to me I'll be turning around and walking back to the mark you know the... probably long before the ball had reached the keeper and he'd be going I've got to call that one wide I'm sorry but I have to I can't... I can't not call that wide Did you get the famous yips? The famous yips well <laughs> I think the thing about having the yips you've got to have got to a certain level haven't you before you can even have the i didn't you can't loss you can't lose something that you you've never
3: had <laughs> I love this image of him telling you what to what to bowl or how to go about it because that would just make me feel ten times worse well there's that thing isn't there
2: in um the the uh, there's a very really good interview I read them recently the bowler that sort of lost his run up and everything during a final at lord's oh yeah um some us, he was born at triscothic wasn't he that's right yeah, and there's a really really good in, he's, he speaks about it really brilliantly that guy. And um, there's a very good interview with him, and he actually explains one of the one of the people that helped him on the pitch during it because it's the sort of thing you think, well, of course, why doesn't this happen more? You know that kind of pressure or whatever. Uh, and you know it's like it was the umpire talked him through it actually, just said just concentrate on getting your arm as high as you can. Scott uh, Scott Boswell.
3: That's right, yeah. And he'd had a really good you know tournament up to then or whatever. These things these things just happen. If you get the yips, it must be an awful place to be. I remember I had Dom Sibley bowling for England last year in the pandemic when Root brought him, brought him on I think I ironed two shirts during that over <laughs> and uh, I remember Wooksy crying with laughter at mid-off so there was absolutely no sympathy there and uh, half the team felt sorry for him the other half just couldn't stop laughing so it must be quite hard for a captain to go up to somebody and, and know how to deal with them or what to say because I remember Sibbers at the end of that over I said do not bowl me again <laughs> But
2: also that's, you know, why, why was he, it wasn't like he was going up to roots at the end of every over going, surely, surely it's time for me now.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think it was out the blue. I don't think he ever expected the ball.
2: When I was about 18, I, when I was at school, I had a sort of music scholarship. So I was meant to sort of contribute musically. And I, I didn't really, because I had sort of lost, took my eye off it really. And I didn't work very hard at it, but I ended up sort of doing bits of percussion. And there was a concert in which I was asked to play the bass drum Right, which is massive thing, so you've got to get it absolutely right. Uh, this piece called the Verdi Requiem, right? and there's this bit where there's only one bit of it that you're really needed for, but you have to get it... And if you get it right, it looks all right. And I, I did that concert, and it went fine. And so the next term they were like, right, can you play the cymbals in this other thing? Right at the beginning of the piece, I had to play one one big crash. And then nothing happened for like 80 bars. And then I had to play a few more... And so I got up to do the first one. The conductor, points to me, crash the cymbals together. It's all in the right place. But I created a gust with the cymbals and the music <laughs> that was on my stand when I went crash, just sort of, it flew off and it just disappeared. And I thought, oh, no, it just sort of went over the heads of someone. Everyone's doing something, you know, they're all playing instruments or whatever. They're, no one can pick it up and, and bring it to you. Uh, and, and I tried, I don't know why, but I tried to get the... I tried to get the conductor's attention that this had happened. And, of course, I'm holding two big cymbals, so I just started waving these cymbals about. And I, I didn't get his attention, but I got the attention of a lot of people in the audience who were thinking, what is that guy doing? He's gone sort of air traffic control. And from there was born the YMCA. <laughs> <laughs> but what what it then meant was there was a guy playing the, the timpani, and he, he was like, don't worry, I'll, I'll count you in. And he counted me in perfectly for like 60 or 70 bars. And I pulled my hands back to do the big crash. And he went, you know, gave me the nod, went, now. And I started going to crash them together. And halfway between like my arms being outstretched and the cymbals meeting, in that little tiny moment, I lost confidence and thought, this can't be right, can it? And I tried then to stop the cymbals <laughs> colliding, which took, I nearly, I nearly put out both shoulders. And it was incredible. Once you've started moving, you had to try and stop it. And these big, heavy things are holding. And I, I probably made a ah, noise as I did it. I absolutely <laughs> lost. And then I turned around and the guy that had counted, he'd, spent, he'd just devoted so much of his time counting in for me and giving me the nod. He just looked at me with this absolutely astonished expression and sort of started <laughs> to laugh, which meant that, that all I could do, I still, I probably had like six or seven crashes to do before the end of the piece. I delivered none of them whatsoever. I just started to laugh hysterically whilst standing there <laughs> holding these symbols uh, behind the the soloists and then and then I just sat down and put them in and just left my head in my hands for the rest of the concert but in that moment of feeling I don't know if I can do this when you're halfway through doing something the thought of doing that then when you've got uh, you know just cameras on you or you've got a full stadium uh, there's why I don't know why people don't panic more
3: you know, it's like that feeling on an aeroplane. How does this thing stay up? What's going on? It sounds a bit to me like um, like the Sam Curran Mark Wood batting partnership. He guided me through that, um, and we 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 nearly won the game. That was how long did you bat for? Oh, I only faced maybe sixteen or seventeen balls or something. Really? Yeah. Um, out of like um, must have been ten overs or something like that. It was very very reminiscent of.
2: Um, Pringle and uh, Derek, uh, Derek Pringle and Gooch uh, against the West West
3: Indies. Well, early on, I, when I came in, it was sort of like, "I'll get myself in, and then we'll, we'll have a go," sort of thing. And then I think after I faced a few balls, I think Sam thought he can take it on rather than than me contribute and, and waste balls. So he just said, "Look, I'll take the strike. If we're going to win, I'll need to hit fours and sixes. I mean, I was happy to have a go, but actually, for a guy that's hardly played any games in such a young age to take that on and think, I've got the confidence to do that. I remember at the end of the game, Moggy was laughing because obviously with no crowd and, and anyone in, he could hear what we were saying in the middle. And I was like, the guy at the other end saying, keep your head down, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, elbow. Yeah, as I'm parked on me bat at the other end, I was like, oh, keep your head down, Sam. Good shapes, good shapes. And uh he's like sort of like nodding as if like, yeah, all right, man, I know what I'm doing. Yeah, you're the guy that, you're the guy I'm protecting here. you. You know, this is my job, Mark. Yeah, he's got to, I, because I was listening,
2: well, the first, the beginning of that day, I went out for a, a run in the morning and I was listening to the commentary. And of course they would think it's really, it's really hot here. And you were b- bowling at that stage and putting in, you know, serious, serious effort in the heat. And I just had these commentators keep saying, look at that. It looks oh, my word, it's hot out there. Look, that looks hard work. And I was running around the park here, which still had sort of mist hanging over it. Uh, And then then that partnership, by the time you came out to bat, I mean, it did seem, with the best one in the world, like a sort of lost cause. And I was, um, by that point, Mark, in my exciting day, I'd moved on to stripping some wallpaper. And I was stripping (laughs) this wallpaper around a fireplace, and I got all the way down to the sort of bottom left-hand side, and then you suddenly started, it looked like we could win it. And I became superstitious and I there was a bit that I'd finished, but because it was the bit that I was doing when it was going well, like, you know, seats in the dressing room, I thought, I can't move from here. So I ended up repeatedly steaming and scraping a bit of wall that had no wallpaper left on it whatsoever down on my haunches for about 50 minutes. <laughs> what are you doing? You haven't you done that bit? Like, I can't move from here. I can't move from here. It's going, <laughs> it's, it's going really well. Just slowly filling the sitting room with uh, with steam. How how did you get through that bowling spell? That was, I
3: mean, it was it was tough. I think I think mentally you've just got to, you know, think how lucky you are. Oh, I'm playing for England. You know, this is yep. another game for England. Another game yep. to win for England against India. Every cloud, so, yeah, yeah. This is this is a crunch match. I think I think that the the way that to describe it to people at home, listening, the way that I felt was it was like I hadn't eaten enough. It was like I felt a little bit wobbly a bit weak a bit sort of tingly and just a bit rubbish um I felt not very well and then Stokes said to me look after my first three of us go off we're gonna need you to bowl so get cooled down get yourself in a, a better place and come back so I went off the doctor had had bizarrely put alcohol gel all over my back and put me underneath a I know what you're going to say. Air conditioning.
2: Oh, I thought you were going to say one of those old things for ladies to have their uh, perms done in old fashioned
3: hair. (laughs) No, no, no. So he put me under that to keep me cool, um, which worked well. And then he put a towel filled with ice on my back and and watered the towel. So I was freezing cold. And he says he could feel the heat coming through the towel. So I must have been just overheated and, and felt really ill. It wasn't until I went back on, I started to feel a little bit better. The energy came back a little bit. I'd had um, toast with honey. I'd had an infinity amount of Gatorade. Um, Bit of time with your slippers on. Yeah, so I felt a little bit better. I went out, started to bowl again. And of course, as soon as I started to bowl again, I started to feel ill again. I would run in, run in as hard as I could, pick your legs up, drive towards the target, bowl the ball, and then I would feel awful, horrendous walking back to my mark. And then the same thing would get right turn. Right, come on, pick your legs up, drive your head forward. And that was the sort of process where I would just sort of think, right, get back to your mark. And then I could go through my sort of methods of my head of what I was trying to get through. But that walk back was like the long walk back. And it seemed to be like my run up just kept getting longer and longer and longer because I just was feeling a little bit rubby, but I suppose it's,
2: it's like getting through a, uh, a West End matinee when, you're, uh, when you've got a hangover if I can just draw briefly on personal experience. You know, you,
3: you've got to just... Do your job. That's it, isn't it? Just do it. Crack run.
2: Right. Now, uh, what I'm going to do, I'm going to open up the uh, mail bag. Uh, we've been asking various questions. OK, so in the uh, the Joe Root episode, I told um, a story that I think changed Mark's life about spotting um, uh, Joe Root at a, at a branch of Euro Garage near me. So uh, we put the question out, have you spotted any first-class... Uh, uh, cricketers at petrol stations. Um, uh, I suppose the idea really is that you know we can start to build up a map of uh, who goes where, why you know, start to analyse their behaviour and maybe uncover. I don't know. Maybe one of them will turn out to be Banksy or whatever if we if we uh, <laughs> follow follow the clues right. So uh, Matt Tuss uh, he spotted Ronnie Irani at Clackett Lane Services back in. 2018 I'm sure I'm sure there's a story there uh, will Carson uh, he saw Sam Billings at the BP in Malvern Road Worcester also in 2018 well that already there's a coincidence uh, he says he immediately texted his teammates at Keeville CC and no one was particularly interested <laughs> well I'm glad that we've provided another outlet for that spot um, Jonathan Winsome. I couldn't contain my excitement when the topic of cricketers at petrol stations cropped up on your entertaining podcast, as I've seen not one, but two relatively successful players filling up their sponsored vehicles. The first was the Australian Chris Rogers at a shell garage in wait for it, Telford, when he played for Wellington. Uh, the second was Matthew Fleming at the Abingdon services near Edinburgh. Uh, not being a talker at striking up conversations with people that I recognise but don't actually know, I'm afraid that on both occasions there was no social interaction whatsoever, not even a well-played I also saw Carl Hooper in a post office once and made... (laughs) I love this sentence. (laughs) I also saw Carl Hooper in a post office once and made no attempt to speak to him either. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, fantastic. Um, First class call. Uh, very, very good. Uh, ben Mendoza. Sometime in the 90s, I was coming back from a rave and stopped at South Mim Services on the A1 north of London. To my surprise, I saw Brian Lara coming out of the canteen with a woman on each arm. I winked to him and he winked back. Uh, wow, that's a great way of just colliding there with the, the 90s rave scene there. Of course, it's amazing, you know, the uh, the way that everything interconnects inter- like this.
3: Was that, was that a scene from... That sounds like a scene from Wedding Crashers, that. Yeah. <laughs> Brian Laura came up with one girl and each arm and a, and a wink to the guy that, that winked to him. Fantastic, that. Extraordinary.
2: And and uh, he's like, well, I'm going to, you know, let's take the South Mims. Um, let's do these things properly. Um, Matthew Jones. Uh, it wasn't a cricket player at service station, uh, but I drew great amusement from seeing Glenn Maxwell shunning the players' tea on offer in the pavilion at Colwyn Bay when Lancashire visited Glamorgan in 2019. Instead, choosing to queue up for a... Burger from a van still in his whites, <laughs> <laughs> and there is indeed there is a picture there that is, and the other people in the queue look. I can't work out if they're ignoring him or look rightly baffled that someone playing in the game has just wanted <laughs> off to buy a burger. Um, oh, this is from Alexander Holt Evans who actually managed the conversation. Um, "'Escapism is the order of the day at the moment, "'so thank you both enough uh, for scooping me up "'from my lockdown schedule "'and placing me in these far safer environment "'of petrol stations in suburban Wales. "'Upon hearing (laughs) of your riveting encounter "'with Sheffield's finest wheel of the willow, "'I was immediately reminded of a similar seismic encounter "'between myself and England's current T20 "'and world number one batsman.' During a long drive from home in Suffolk to Edinburgh a few years ago, I stopped off at Weatherby Services to indulge myself with some premium unleaded and a zesty power drink, whilst (laughs) holding up an end on pump four. I turned my head to see who else but the bearded England fringe player at the time, David Milan. Seeing the destructive number three climbing out of his Kia in his full England kit was a moment I'll never forget, and I was plunged into a state of awkward nervousness, tinged with the excitement of a possible signature or exchange of pleasantries. I bided my time, pretending to continue filling up despite having long since brimmed the tank, and followed David from the forecourt into the kiosk. I lurked behind the England star, thinking that since he was in his full training kit, a word or two with a fan wouldn't come as a surprise. I said to him, "Great game last night, David. Shame about Gale. The universe boss had steamrolled England up in Durham the night before." Milan turned and quickly, uh, Milan turned and sharply quick, the guy sure hits a clean ball. We shared a chuckle. He turned, paid for his oasis, and pumped three. Love <laughs> <All> these details. <laughs> paid for his oasis and pumped three and left for London my ability to remain calm under such pressure gave me huge confidence and I'm a changed man since (laughs) (laughs) petrol stations are where dreams come true a school of thought Miles is no doubt familiar with
3: (laughs) (laughs) that's brilliant that one
2: Thank you very much for those. Uh, I had no idea that we would get such an extraordinary response and an incredible array. So we're starting to basically build up a picture of uh, where cricketers uh, have been spotted at petrol stations. The underground network of services. We need to kind of set up like, um, you know, like an investigations room, like they have in uh, Line of Duty or The Wire or something, and start getting, you know, get a map on the walls, some pictures, some rooms, work out who goes where and when, and we can we can... We can basically spot the connections and solve this
3: for the lads in the north. Weatherby and Woodall are the two popular ones. Leicester Forest's a good one because halfway down, I dare say that Gloucester Services is the best that I've been to.
2: That's a very that's that's run by the same people that run Tebay, isn't it? That's uh, that's very good. I mean, I'm um, I suppose where like are like Membury. I go to quite. Often, if I'm driving back from London, uh, Hotwood Park—that is where I go. That's halfway between me and my parents, so um, very, very familiar with uh, with uh, what the guys at Hotwood Park do. And, uh, guys, I remain incredibly impressed with your service uh, <laughs> and indeed your commitment to it. Um, excellent. Uh, well, that is the mailbag. Now, um, thanks very much, everyone who's written in. Right. Well, it's uh, time for us to uh, to welcome a guest to Middle Please, umpire. Now, um, are you aware of who our guest this week is, Mark?
3: Um, No. I mean, is he, I don't know, a breed of dog or something? Is he a breed... He is indeed former Gloucestershire
2: wicketkeeper. uh, Bernie's Mountain. No, it's uh, it's Jack Russell. (laughs) I'd just like to take a moment to thank our founding sponsors, Cricketers Gin. Cricketers Gin is the perfect podcast partner as this corker of a gin began its innings at the local village cricket club in Pinckney's Green, Berkshire. Over a GT, and the founders decided that this quintessential British game, along with the wild botanicals growing in abundance, deserved a bespoke gin of its own. Cricketers features milk thistle, wild marjoram and blackberries, amongst other botanicals, delivering a smooth juniper-forward gin. If pink is your preference, they also have a delicious raspberry-distilled pink gin. Please take a look at their website, cricketersgin.com, where you'll find a range of gin hampers too. Apply the code CRICKET and you'll receive a discount off your purchases. Cricketers,
0: a small batch gin and a family-owned business. William Hill's safer gambling tools help you stay in control. You can set deposit limits, session reminders, and take timeouts whenever you need them. 18 Plus, please gamble responsibly. William Hill, it's who you play with.
4: David, great work! Beautiful piece of work. That's what he was there for. Wicket side stamping. Fifty wickets for and Small. That was all Jack Russell's at that one.
2: That was a fine piece of club work. Uh, so we're delighted to be joined by our next guest, uh, who is Gloucestershire England great Jack Russell. Hello, Jack.
4: Hi guys. Good to talk to you. How are you today? I'm very good. It's a normal painting day for me. So um, if I'm painting, I'm happy. If I'm happy, my wife's happy, so there's no arguments, and we just crack on. <laughs> are,
2: you, are you now, are you in your sort of painters, I don't know what you, I don't know if you wear a sort of um, a beret to paint in, or do you, do you have well, like a pair of overalls?
4: Not exactly, no, I just, I mean, I was, I was Mark I tell you, I was never the tidiest dresser, so I'm look, I look like a bit of a ragbag, but I'm just covered in paint, because so, most of it's on me rather than the canvas, so I'm doing something <laughs> wrong somewhere, but I look like, um, yeah, multicoloured uh, jacket. <laughs>
3: Miles, I'm I'm a bit disappointed. I thought that was the perfect opportunity for Jack to bring in a wear me floppy. I wear the old school floppy even when I paint. I thought that was it. I thought it was coming.
4: Do you know what, Mark? It actually flashed into my head <laughs> as soon as you mentioned hats, it did come in. Yeah. But I don't um it's in such a fragile state now. It's probably if if I was playing today, health and safety wouldn't allow it. I mean it's actually a bit of a health hazard. So I don't. I try and not. It's probably
2: t- a major vector of disease.
4: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it, talking about viruses. I mean, this would be, you know, it would be terrible. And it's, it's the, it, the inside's still burnt from when I burnt it once. So, it's not great on the inside, and it's not that good on the outside
2: anymore. <laughs> How many of your first-class games did you wear that hat for?
4: Every single game. I had it the first day. <clears throat> My first um, day at Gloucestershire as a professional was 1980. Two. I played one game the year before when I was still at school, doing my A levels. I played a first-class game against the tourists, the Sri Lankans, and then joined the club uh, full-time the following year. And um, I had it given to me first day by the late Tony Brown, and I've I kept it ever since. And it's sort of gone through many metamorphoses in terms of repairs, etc. But I managed to make it last until the I did have one period with England in the West Indies where they made me wear the tour. Uh, issue hat which was a hard brim thing um, which would give you a headache after about an hour in the field so apart from that I wore it just about well certainly every other first class game.
3: I know this Miles I know I know this story already so I spoke to Mergs who was here as our team um, media man and he was telling me about a meeting they had in the West Indies where they tried to make everybody look the same you had to have the same helmets the same kit obviously someone was in the MCC someone's wearing the jumpers, someone's wearing different caps, different coloured helmets and they reckon that one of the major meetings was about your hat, is that not right Jack?
4: Well the, <clears throat> embarrassingly yes, that is true um, because Lord McLaurin was head of, just come into the ECB and he was a little bit worried that you know one guy was wearing a white floppy one guy was batting in a blue hat, one guy NASA was batting in his white hat Stu had a white helmet and it, it got to this, and we we looked a bit of a uh, from a um, what's the a corporate point of view. We looked a little bit tatty and a bit rough, I and mean, we weren't exactly winning game, many games either. I don't think that helped. But having said that, we were told that we had to wear the team issue equipment, and I got selected for that tour. I'd been out for a year or two, and uh, I was told I had to wear my uh, wear the wear the the uh, issued hat, the big wide hard brim thing, you know, like a Mexican hat. And I thought, oh, they're not serious when we get out. So we got out there. We got to the West Indies before the first uh, practice game in Montego Bay. And uh, there were two or three meetings leading up to that, um, team meetings. I mean, you, you ask Athers about it, Mike Atherton, he, he just shakes his head because he can't believe they spent so much time talking about a hat. And basically, I was told that, and I spent about three days on the phone to the solicitor as well, by the way, which cost me a fortune. Um, I, I was told that if I didn't wear the hat, uh, Bumble, David Lloyd, the coach, and Mike Atherton would be sacked and I would be sent home. And that, that, was, that's, that was the line. No way.
2: That was true. That was the exact line. So I, I had a bit... Of all the problems facing English cricket in the 90s, the idea that people's hats weren't matching.
3: Never, never mind in the West Indies and thinking, oh, let's hit the top of off. It's Jack's yeah. hat. That's yeah. the main talking
2: point here. I wasn't allowed in the team meetings
4: because they had to discuss my hat not in front of me. So I would spend hours <laughs> sat in my hotel room waiting to find out what the plan was. Anyway, it came to, it came to in the end that um, the, the annoying thing was my hat was tidier than the hats they were giving me at the time because at the start of every tour the hat used to be washed and repaired. It would go into the airing cupboard and it would be put over a tea cosier tea towel left in the airing cupboard for a couple of days it looks spanking brand new and um so I was a little bit annoyed about that anyway I uh, they forced me into it so I got a letter I've still got the letter somewhere from the manager I've got it in writing that I would be allowed to wear the big wide brims hat but I'd be allowed to cut the hat down to the same brim as mine because I I didn't want a floppy uh brim in front of me while I was keeping wicket it's hard enough trying to catch the ball as it is so Basically, I got a handwritten letter. and I saw, But after, after we walked out of Montego Bay and my hat was cut down, it looked like my old hat initially. My <laughs> had nearly had a heart attack. He, he, he went white. Thought, he thought I'd put my old hat back on and he was going to get the sack. Until he got close <laughs> up to me, he realised I'd cut the old, the new hat down. And then basically, um, after about two games, it was tattooed in my hat. So it looked worse than mine. So in the end, it sort of defeated the object. I had the worst tour of my life, by the way.
2: Entirely hat related.
4: Well, I don't know. Only subconsciously, possibly, because it was like it was like part of my soul, really. <laughs> Even now, these days, I've got to know where it is, twenty four hours a day, otherwise, I have a panic attack.
2: It does seem like an enormous distraction now. I suppose those days you were touring with quite a sort of skeleton staff, Mark and his lot. I mean, there's absolutely, there's presumably, there's several designated hat people. In fact, probably, there's probably a couple of hat people who are away on paternity leave, something like that, Mark. So some other (laughs) hat people have had to come in. I mean, how many, how many designated hat people are there in the England backroom staff these days?
3: Uh, uh, Well, no hat carriers. We have got, I think, 17 backroom staff on tour. We do have a a hat box now, which gets presented and which is a lovely thing. The last guy that, makes his debut, he presents the next uh, cap box to the to the next guy and it's got your number and your name on. So that's a lovely touch, I think, that Rudy brought in. Even, I'm sure Jack could even put his hat in his hat box and that wouldn't have even been an issue. So, um, yeah, it's, that's a nice touch. I
2: find, Jack, in the 90s, to, to me, was my sort of, when the a night I got into cricket and I associate you with so many sort of astonishing iconic moments i think and not just as a keeper because you were sort of unparalleled i think but i was thinking about some your batting for instance the ability you had you you had to come in when things were absolutely shocking old trafford 95 when we were 48 for four robin smith probably the best player of short fast bowling has been hospitalized what goes through your head when you're going out john crawley's sort of scratching around from number three he's still in and then you went out and just absolutely smacked it, what, 31 off 39 and brought it home very calmly.
4: You make it all sound very um, colourful colorful and like i had been millions of brilliant things. But the, the, that particular game, I remember walking past, I was next in and Robin Smith, as you said, got hit in the face and his his cheekbone wasn't where nature intended it to be. And it was sort of round by his left ear a little bit. And... I remember walking past him. He was, he was being helped off by Dave Roberts, the physio. He was a bit dazed. Now, Robin Smith was one of the toughest uh, players, hard players that I ever played with. So for him to be even in, you know, he would play with broken fingers. That guy, he was unbelievable. I remember walking past him and thinking, well, we're chasing 90 odd here. John Crawley's is the other, other end. And I said to creep when I went out, creeps, just stick around, just you stay in your end, mate. And I'll see what I can do. And, um, I was a bit pumped up anyway, and it, I just got back in the team actually, I've been out for a little while, and I was playing a sort of aggressive game anyway, because I was I got back in the team because Ray Linworth watched me play the week before at Charlton, and I got, I got 90-odd attacking, and um, when we were about 40 for 5 or 6 in that game as well, against Lancashire, so I was in that groove really, where I just sort of played shots, and I like, attacked more than I... I mean, I've sort of tended to play quite stubborn over my career, but in this particular game, I, I thought I'm just going to go for it, and it's actually one of the proudest moments in my career. Is actually hooked. I thought it was hooked. I saw the highlights recently. It was it was a pull, not a hook. Curtly um, uh, Ambrose, who I never hit a boundary off in my life, <laughs> and suddenly I, but I was so pumped up, and I, I I just with bat speed, I just managed to hook it, and it just went down the boundary for four. And Creepy stayed the other end and just knocked it around a little bit. And I just played my shots. And they were attacking anyway cause the, with the field because they had to take wickets. So there were plenty of gaps. So I just put back to ball. It was either a cut or a pull because um, you didn't get many drives off the West Indies. And it just happened to be a day that came off. And I remember coming off just another magic day at Old Trafford, which you know I always used to enjoy playing
2: that. Because that sort of chips a down... Thing, I mean, what your century—you scored against India. You came in when we were 107 for five. God, you've got a good memory, Miles. I've got, I've got Google, Jack. Yeah,
3: oh, no, okay. <laughs> you're not, you're not there yet. We're getting to the. Micro- I feel like it's a build-up of McGratherton's coming. To the male's favourite player.
4: <laughs> <laughs> okay, I look forward to that bit. I look forward to that. Sorry, Miles, what was the question again? I've forgotten.
2: <laughs> it was, it was just that ability then to, you know, when you're, if you're batting at seven. You, yeah. can, you know, you've got. It would be easy to think that the tone of the innings is set there, and when you've got the tail behind you. So the mindset, necessary to come in at 107 for five, say, and that to be the moment that you score a you score a century. I mean, how how does that work out for you mentally?
4: Well, the thing the thing is, basically batting at seven is you've got you know there are sort of several sc- scenarios you can come into. You either got a load of runs on the board and you've got to get on with it for a declaration, etc. Um, or you're struggling and you, you know, you've got to sort of decide whether you're going to dig in or counter-attack, or you're batting with the tail. So it's sort of like I played that position right throughout my career, even playing in county cricket. So I got used to sort of the different types of situations. And you basically, it's like a game of chess, really. You've got to work out what you're going to do, whether you're going to attack, whether you're going to just stay in. And it's just, you, you just get into, uh, you just play it as you see it at that particular time. And I'm, the, the Indians at Lord's, actually batted with Graham Thorpe, which I didn't bat that many times with. And we were five down for 80, I think, on a green seamer. Uh, or it seemed like a green seamer to me anyway at the time, the way I kept playing and missing. But I just thought I'd, I'd attack at that situation as well. And um, luckily I managed to get to the end of play. and was, I can't remember what I was overnight, maybe 40 or 50, maybe 60, and then just put on another 60-odd in the next day. And it's and that's one of those – that's a special moment because that's – when you – a lot of great players and I'm talking I mean my batting was just was pretty average but when yeah, I mean, I'm talking great players that are not on those honours boards at Lord's to actually manage to get on there with 100s like the a scoreboard scoreboard dream come true and
3: I want to ask about Old Trafford there like you mentioned um I know that when I play now we look straight down the wicket whereas when you played Jack, you would have the wicket would have been the other way so actually coming against the West Indies and people like that and Joe Berg's the same which I'm sure Miles will ask you about later but watching side on did you, what were you like before you went out the bat? Were you, did you watch the game? Were you calm? Were you, were you just waiting to see until he got out there? Like what, how did you feel watching at places like that?
4: I'll be honest with you watching guys like yourself who would bowl like 90 odd 100 miles an hour from square on is not the most ideal way of doing it it's not the best preparation really when I played as often as I could um, even in county cricket, I would always go and stand near or sit near the score, the um, the sight screen for a, uh, a period of time, just to get down at eye level, because the old traffic you're way above those dress rooms are way at the top, and you, you you even now they are now uh, the old pavilion they were above, so you don't get a uh, a gist of the way the balls behaving really and the way the length uh, I quite I didn't know I was doing it at the time, but it was visualization really watching the opposition bowlers and getting something into my head about who was doing what and what the wicket was doing and the way the ball was coming down. You didn't always get that at places like Old Trafford. So I always preferred to watch from behind down by the side screen. That would be my ideal place to watch. In county cricket, you could do that. And that, for me, gave me the best visual of what was going on because I, I find that batters that just wander out there and see what happens, you know, you're know, you not giving yourself the best chance. So with my little ability, I had to give myself the best chance possible. So I need to knew, need to know everything that was going on. Um, not a lot of players are like that. Some just like to just wander out and play it, you know, as they see it. And we're all different. Um, but I, I just like to view it that way. Old Trafford, when I went back to, to paint there in 2019 and they changed the pitch around, actually, you were sat behind me in a in, a, um, in the media centre. I was up on the balcony painting. I think you were doing some radio. You were just behind mm. me, actually.
3: You were just literally on the, uh, in front of me.
4: Yeah, I was. And that, well, you could see what I was doing. And then they seemed such a different ground to me, you know, not being square on. It seemed really odd. I mean, I'm not. It, I still love the ground, but from the pavilion, from the side in the old days, it's just got a. And used to walk off to that stand ovation if you'd done well. It was,
2: it was a magic time for me. In the nineties, if you're, you know, you're coming in at seven. Quite often, that would be during an England collapse, wouldn't it? And you'd be, you'd be the one with your eye in because you'd have, you know, you have been in the field for ninety overs.
4: Yeah, you just. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and also you didn't have much time to have a cup of tea and, and get your old gear off, and sometimes I'd put my batting pads on quite quick as well. So it, it, you don't always. Um, no, no, no. No offense to my fellow two, uh, ex-teammates. Um, it's just, yeah, it's a different thing because you've got to. You do get a view of what the pitch is doing. You, you get, you, you do get that, and you get. The computer conditions great, but you sit you need to. Every bowl is different, you know. and You need to see what the other bowlers are doing. So I used to. Try and pick up as much information as I can, as I could, from actually just watching them from the from the behind the sight screen. You'd watch a bit of telly if you weren't too worried about, you know, you wouldn't mind watching a replay just to see exactly what balls are doing. If it was going going all over the place, we'd probably switch the telly off.
2: And uh, we should probably talk about the Wanderers then, not because Mark's such a big Mike Atherton fan; <laughs> uh, he'll be raring, he'll be rary for this. But I that that match, of course, the other two things about that game. Is that you? You took eleven. Well, you made eleven dismissals in that game. So you, I mean, that period it's sort of, you know, it's such a great run of form there, 95, 96. So you'd already, by the time you went out to bat on that last day, you'd you'd already set a world record, hadn't you, with with your gloves on? But you, I mean, honestly, how much confidence could you have
3: walking into that situation?
4: Well, the thing was, yeah, the, I, I, Mark, you've played at Johannesburg, haven't you?
3: Oh, I've got a few runs there, I can't really remember, so I don't live
4: on it. You played there, I mean, it's like a bit of a ball ring, isn't it? You walk down to the pitch, and w- when we were when we were playing there, there used to be a tin roof on the stand next to you as you walk down, and the I can, I can still hear that being bashed and bashed and bashed on the top. It was like deafening, you know, walking out. They're trying to intimidate you. And in those days, because I, I take it as a bit of a compliment, really, as I walked to the wicket, they would make dog noises, or woof-woof noises, whistle noises and like pretend like I used to get that all the time so that used to like spur me on a bit so just getting out to the wicket and as you said I got the record the world record the day before or was it that morning no it was the day before yeah the fourth day and I was just wondering about that as I remember I couldn't sleep the night before because I know I think I needed one more catch the next day I think it was one or two I couldn't sleep the night before and I remember sitting up all night in my hotel room by about two hours kip just watching a lightning storm the whole night and drinking tea that was my match preparation for the fourth day <laughs> which was not probably ideal so come the last day I was pretty exhausted in terms of not having a lot of sleep and not recovering that particularly that well and I got to the wicket <clears throat> and remember that my catheter in order to be first, mo- this is like the last morning first session I can't remember what time I got in Robin Smith got caught third man cut in I remember that I thought, that was good. Yeah, that's a good judge. That was a good shot. You know, we're trying to save the game and he goes and blasts it down a third man's throat. I remember thinking <laughs> that. And then, but when I got to the wicket, Athers had already been batting since lunchtime the day before. So we're, we're nearly lunchtime now on the, on the last day. And I looked into his eyes and I thought, this guy's going to do this. This guy is actually going to do this. You know, I could see in his look in his eye that there was no way that... And they were throwing the kitchen sink at him and the whole house and everything at him, by the way, Donald and, and uh, Pringle and Macmillan, they were trying to kill him. <clears throat> They'd been trying for a day, nearly, and he was still there, and I thought, well, somebody's got to pull the finger out here and stay the other end. So my target, really, at that point, was to be naught, not out at the end of play. Now, if I bore the world to tears and send everybody to sleep, I don't care. If I'm naught, not out at the end of play... I've done my job because I know Athurs is going to stay in the other end. I knew he was going to do that. That was the vibes I was getting from him straight away. How I got to 29 not out, I do not know. Um, I, I just I, I hit four later on, and I had to give myself the biggest rollicking <laughs> I've ever given myself. Like, what are you doing it in a four, Russell? God, he's just supposed to be blocking. <laughs> yeah.
2: But you carved it over third man.
4: <laughs> Sorry, no. I just set out. It was easy when you, when you analyze it. My game plan was so simple. I was just going to block straight down the pitch. Duck and weave out of anything that's in the way, and leave everything else. And apparently, I got to one point where I—I I think I took forty. It was about fifty odd minutes without scoring a run, and I was very close to beating Godfrey Evans's record of not scoring a run for so many minutes in a Test match, or something like that. Somebody mentioned that to me after. I missed it by a couple of minutes. So my game plan was simple, Miles. It was really—it wasn't um, not complicated. It was just block every ball and send everyone to sleep. Really. <laughs>
2: Well, it, well it, I mean, I just have such fond and vivid memories of it. An extraordinary, uh, extraordinary thing, really. And I, 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 is it one of those things that you carry around with you? I mean, do you now you do such a different thing, I suppose. You're, you're immersed in your painting. But do, do you ever stop and just sort of, disappear off into a reverie like Mark does about the time that he hit whoever it was for
3: a six back over his head.
2: Um, (coughs) Who was it again, Mark? I can't remember. I can't remember.
3: remember. You're not going to get that out of me now, Miles. That's it. Uh,
2: But do you, do you find yourself drifting off into a reverie, Jack? And just suddenly, you know, you just suddenly hear the, uh, hearing them banging on the metal shed as you go out there or hear the whistle.
4: I'll be honest with you. It's probably, there are two things that get mentioned to me more than anything is one is have you still got the hat? Which is which I have, and the other thing is, I remember you in Johannesburg with Athos. I mean, that is those are the two most, um, and then people say, what was it like? And that was the two most mentioned things in my probably in my life uh, from my career. So, it's just great to. Um, I'm I'm just so proud that we managed. To, I, I'm I'm a little bit. We ended up joint man of the match, which I sort of keep apologising to Athos for because we ended. I mean, his was a, a brilliant 180-odd not out, and he, he deserved Man of the Match. And I, I spoiled it a bit for him. He had to share the bottle of champagne with me in the Man of the Match check. So I, I still, to this day, I still apologise to him for that. <laughs> but it, it, was, it was like um, when we came off, and I remember there were two things that stick in my head at the end. Daryl Hare, the Australian umpire, was uh, umpiring, and he took the bails off. And I looked at him and I was near, I'm, with such a dirty look, I nearly said to him, What the hell are you doing? What are you doing taking the bales off? I said, Me and others are going to back here for a week here. They're just <laughs> put them back on. I was that in, I was in that such a zone, I was that pumped up that I just didn't. And then at dawn, oh, crikey, we've done it. You know, we've great. And then we wandered off and we got mobbed coming off, which was amazing. There was loads of England fans there. Um, one of the early trips with the English army, you know, the, the, uh, the Barmy Army, that was great. Got back to the dressing room, it was like we'd won. And we got back to the dressing room and we all sat, we sat in, the others sat in one corner, I sat in the others. We're both knackered. And we just looked at each other and he raised his glass to me. I think I probably had a mug of tea or something. I raised that. And, but during, the, uh, th- th- this other thing quickly, during the day, and I was a little bit superstitious at times, and I was going, like you said, going through a good patch with a bat. In between overs, I'd tap, as it became a superstition during that period, I would tap my partner's pad. So if in, in between overs, I have a chat, how are you doing? Yeah, keep going, blah, blah, blah. Tap a pad, go back to non-striker. Well, if I forgot to do I would run down the other end and I would tap Ather's pad and run back. I mean, the South happens, I must have thought I was a complete nutcase. <laughs> and I kept saying to him in, in between overs, I kept saying, remember Barbados, remember Barbados. And he kept saying okay, I remember Barbados, right, okay, I'll remember it, we'll keep going. But Barbados was in 1990 when we we should have saved it on the last day. I batted most of the last day as night watchman and I got out about 40 minutes before the end of play. And then we got the last five wickets went in about 10 minutes and we lost by about 20 minutes. And I was so determined not to go through that pain again, I kept saying to him between overs, others remember Barbados, he kept saying, okay, Jack, okay, Jack, I remember Barbados. So we're sat in the change room at the end and he's looking at me and I'm looking at him and we're sort of like thumbs up to each other. And then he says to me, Jack, Barbados? Barbados? I, d- I, d- I didn't even play in Barbados. <laughs> I didn't even... Pl- I said no, but it kept me going, though, didn't it? And it did, and it was the Barbados <laughs> thing that kept me going. Um, and I didn't want to go through that pain again. Um,
2: I've, gone in, I've gone in hard on your batting, um, but l- let's talk about your, your keeping then. As a keeper, did you prefer... Keeping to to pace bowling or or to spin?
4: Um, I preferred up to the stumps, really. If I'm honest, I mean, stood back, I was okay. I did all right stood back. I, I didn't have um, uh, I didn't my core stability wasn't great, so um, I I had back problems towards the end. So I wasn't the strongest person stood back. Um, so but stood up was I, I I was brought brought up having being told you know you learn your trade. Stood up to the stumps. That's the place where you do the the real business. No, no offence to Mark, by the way.
3: <laughs> Not taken, Jack.
4: So stood up to the stumps was was the thing for me. But and, and people say oh, I was great to stand up to the quicks and the medium paces, and that that was always great. But the toughest bit, the mental, real mental discipline, comes with the spinners when you've got to stay in position, and especially on pitches that aren't doing a great deal. The pitches we've seen in India that recently have been easy for me uh, mentally would be easy to keep on because the boards, there's something happening all the time. So they sharpen you up. And you know, you've got to be on the 100% on the ball. Um, the harder pitches for me were the, when the board didn't come to me for three hours or I might have to wait till like the end of the day's play before I got a catch and that sort of thing. They're, they're mentally tougher. Um, the wickets we've seen in India are more physically demanding and you've got to be really electric fast.
3: So Jack, what would you... What would you do training wise? I mean, I've seen our lads, Joss, Foxy, Johnny. They do things with harnesses to obviously get the body weight going one way and work against that. They do a lot of hand, one hand drills. They do a lot of stuff where they dive off the bowling machine and a lot of it like core stability, the head and the hands, like good uh, foot movement. Was there anything you trained or did training wise that was particularly helpful?
4: You see, we didn't. I wish. I I wish. Do you know what? I was eighteen or nineteen as a thing. I wish I'd done ballet. That might sound crazy, but the thing about ballet is you've got to have really good core stability. And if my core stability had been better, I would have played another five years, I think, at the end, I would have been quicker and a bit stronger, and I wouldn't have got so many fatigued. Also, we used to diet on steak and chips, which is not, like, the most healthiest thing to do. So i have a few pints as well in the early days. So our diets weren't great easiest. But I used to do uh, a guy from Australia called... Um, Tony Blaine, I think his name was. He was a keeper over there. He he told me he taught me plyometrics. So in the winters, I would do uh, frog leaps up the stairs, drive my uh, my wife and my kids nuts. But I would those leaps like a frog, um, and things like that. We didn't have the uh, the scientific technology that you've got now, so we just had to make do and make our own things up and work out the best way to get our bodies ready. I remember my first tour to Pakistan, which was 1987. I'd not been to, um, well, I'd been to Sri Lanka before and I knew it was going to be hot. And in those days, you just turned up at the airport. You, you got a letter, you, you pick for England, we'll see you at the airport on such and such a day, don't forget your passport. That was that was the tour preparation. And you just have to turn up. And I remember thinking, I can't just turn up, it's going to be hot over there. So what I did that winter, I would go in, I would put all my batting gear on, and I'd go and play shots in the local sauna down the leisure centre, which sort of like everyone thought I was like totally loopy. And um, hey, the local television came and filmed it one night, and I got so many, I got so much stick for being in a in a sauna with a long sleeve sweater and a helmet on and playing shots <laughs> and or keeping just crouching and bending up and
2: down. I, why why can't people be more open minded about this sort of thing? <laughs> no, exactly, exactly.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah you've spawned. So in terms of the technical stuff, I would just I would keep to bowlers um, on difficult. You know, I'd get on a used pitch somewhere, and I would I would I would take balls from the, whichever bowlers are on that tour. I would take as many balls as I could. toughers you'd get you'd be looking at an, out, an over at a toughers So if you have got a couple of over, overs overs at a toughers pre tour or on a match day, that was like a miracle happening. You put it <laughs> in your diary. Um, but I, mem- I remember going to the West Indies uh, one trip, and Alan not. At um, Old Trafford, we were training indoors and we, we, he, he ordered from David Lloyd once, who was the coach, he said, I need a ton of sand from the local builder's yard and some plywood. And and Actually, David Lloyd told him to clear off because he, he actually said, his actual words were, I haven't got any money in my budget for that. Um, but what he, we tried to do, as much often as we could, is replicate the conditions um, either indoors or outdoors and just try and, and and be as quick as, and in the West Indies you have to stand quite close so we would do a lot of stuff that was quick stuff close up to the stumps like in no man's land that sort of thing I'd stand to the quicks like 5 yards instead of like 20 if I was playing with Mark now I'd say Mark you've got to come and bowl at me like not forever but just come and bowl me a few overs on the side somewhere days you know, in practice and let me get used to what you do and the way you move it and what you and your and so I I familiarised myself as much as I could. That's all I could do in those days. I and mean, we didn't have computers or anything. I didn't see myself play technically until 1985 when we were filmed on BBC's Grandstand on a Sunday afternoon. That's the first time I ever saw myself play technically. I could analyse my game. And I've been playing six years. Yeah, it's true. No computers.
2: Do you think, therefore, you had to rely more on sort of... Coaches, you know, you had to be surrounded by people that you really, really... I'm not, I'm not saying Mark and Co don't really trust people they check up against the computer, but, I mean, did you, you know... Who were the sort of influential people around you then that you would talk to? Because, as well, you know, if you're a batter, there's other batters to talk to. If you're a keeper in a team, you know, you don't necessarily have another sort of sounding board, do you? So who would you talk to about what you were doing?
4: If you're lucky, the team, the guy you were keeping with at that club, you would work together, you would do that, and you would sort of help each other a bit. The biggest thing I used to do... As soon as the fixtures came out at the start of the season, the first two games, first two fixtures, I would look for. And in those days, sometimes we played counties twice. I would look for Kent, and I would look for Derbyshire, because I meant I could go and knock on the dress room door at Kent and speak to Mr. Alan Knott. And if I could speak to Mr. Knott for an hour, that was like gold dust for me. Or Bob Taylor, I go knock on the dressing room door and say, Bob, can you spare ten minutes? You know, and have a chat to him. And he would they, those guys would like amazing you know so we used to speak to the other keepers that's all you had we had we didn't have keeping coaches or anything I mean we had one coach at Gloucestershire that coached the whole club including the youth teams the whole lot from top to bottom and watch the test matches and just try and copy some of the things that they did to try and put them into my game and basically you, were, you had to be self-sufficient
3: we've got uh or we did for a long time we had Bruce French as the is the wicketkeeping coach and Frenchy would keep to me when I was bowling if the wicket keeper was off batting or whatever and he just his hands I remember thinking it, it was just so natural even, even when he was like in his 60s he would just catch it and I would just think it just makes it look easy do you know what I mean he, just, he would just catch the ball and make it look so easy I, mean, I know you've mentioned them guys is there anyone nowadays who, you, who you, you think oh they're a good keeper or anyone you particularly or something you see in somebody and you think oh that's really good
4: I think we're so lucky now it is. I mean, I just I'm, I can just sit back in the armchair now with me with me slippers on, and if I smoked a pipe, I'd have my pipe on, and I just watching these young lads doing such brilliant business. It's like you know we don't have to worry about our, that department for quite a while now because the last few years have been brilliant. We had Matt Pryor before, we had James Foster at one point, stewie was before that. So it's sort of we've been so blessed with the keepers that we've had. And now that Josh and uh, Johnny are doing it, you know, it's just, I, I'm just so, I, I, I love, I'm loving every minute of it. And now that Ben's come back in, folks is back in, who is really, this is no disrespect to any of the keepers, he's easily the most natural keeper in the world. There's no question about that. The guy is just naturally gifted and got a very simple, I did some radio with him on uh, Five Live and just chatting to him about keeping. You know, his philosophy is very simple. And he's just such a, uh, a talented kid he can bat as well that's, that's the other thing he's, he's, he's a top batter as well he's, he's no mug but I just think with that department we are just so blessed we've got young James Bracey who's at my old club Gloucester in the wings there he's working his way through the Lions teams and being part of the England set up occasionally so he's a really good talented young kid so I, I just, I'm loving every minute, and I want to see whoever's doing that
2: job do well. You know, when when you were touring, would you have that same relationship with um, other keepers as you did with uh, keepers on the county circuit? I mean, if you were in the West Indies or or India or whatever, would you would you take some time to talk to uh, to their keepers?
4: Yeah, you would. And if it, I was on tour. It was mainly with Alex Stewart, so we would we would work together. I mean, a lot of people thought we, would, we, we never got on. It's not true, we're actually, we're the best of mates. Although we used to play county games and have slanging matches with each other and, um, and sledge each other and like, have fights on the field almost. And people used to think we hated each other, but actually we were just <laughs> winding everybody up. And He was great when he was captain at Surrey because uh, when I was captain at Gloucester for a year, we tossed the coin up. We to- we won't bother wandering out to the pitch, Stu. Just toss the coin up on the balcony, shall we? So we tossed the coin and the bloody coin came up halfway up the skirting so it was like on its side so it wasn't like a head or a tail so we sort of like oh should we have best of three so we just did yeah. best of three on the toss We're a county game and we did it every time we played we know we played against who's great <laughs> so we it, Stu and i would work a lot together you know he was my roommate for a bit he, i've got to say he's the world's worst nightmare for me as a roommate because his side of the room was so tidy <laughs> and so precise and mine was like a bomb site it was like a building site kit everywhere half of my side half of the room was a um, all my paints were everywhere there were pictures taped to the paintings taped to the walls in the end he had to put a piece of tape all the way down this the room the center of the room he said you do not come this side of the room anything, anything <laughs> comes this side of the room it goes out the window he said that includes your hat so him and i, him and I were like it, he was a nightmare to room with because he was so bloody tidy it was it was difficult for me um, but we, in answering your question, Miles, uh, eventually I will answer it. Um, he, well, uh, I did. We we did speak to the opposition keepers at some, various points. Yeah, the Aussies we would tend to sort of do that. I only played one trip down there. We'd do that at the end. You know, we'd chat, get together at the end generally. But you, you keepers, we're we're not cases anyway. Mark Italia is sort of we, we we're sort of on a we think well we think we're on another planet from everybody else, and we just do our own thing and we sort of think slightly differently. You've got to be slightly crazy, a bit like goalkeepers. i tell you what I used to do. I used to talk to goalkeepers quite a lot whenever I could. And actually, when I finished playing, I actually went and uh, helped out at my local Forest Green Rovers football club. We were in the non the league. They're in the fourth division now, the old fourth division. So they're a league team there. And I, I, used, I used to go there and I spent two and a half years being assistant to the keeping coach and just like... In, in, getting involved with goalkeeping, so that was great fun as well so i said anyone mad enough to keep anything like goal or anything i would talk to them
2: right uh well it is time for mark woods super over the rules are jack don't don't think just speak um i don't don't know if that's an mo that you can that's dangerous okay
3: 90 seconds miles are you ready
2: 90 seconds uh only marks get set go
3: right jack turning pitch or green top turning pitch Favorite TV dog,
4: Basil Brush.
3: <laughs> the last photo you took or painting?
4: Um, the World Cup final.
3: Yes, great show. Favorite cricket ground?
4: It's got to be Lords.
3: If a duck flew at you, would you duck or fight back?
4: Well, no, my yeah, I'd fight back. <laughs>
3: uh, steam room or sauna?
4: It's been such a long time, sauna.
3: Nice work. Uh, can you build a fire?
4: Uh, Not without uh, firelight or matches, no.
3: What's the heaviest thing you've ever dropped on your foot?
4: A lawnmower.
3: What's the worst thing you've been bitten by?
4: Oh, God. Um, My wife.
3: (laughs) Miles is stealing apples. Last one. Miles is stealing apples from your garden. What do you shout at him? Clear off! (laughs) (laughs) By the barest of all margins. By the barest of all margins
2: that was exactly 90 seconds very good yeah i might go i wouldn't mind a bit of scrumping jack i must say a- absolute pleasure to speak to you today thanks very much indeed for uh, agreeing to speak to me and mark we should come to your gallery perhaps and um see you in the flesh when the uh, war is over
4: yeah you're all very welcome when we can get back to some normality you're all very welcome and uh it's been great to it's, you have give me uh a few minutes away from the canvas so I've given my eyes a bit of a rest and my vocal cords have had a bit of a, a run out uh, which they don't normally get when I'm in the studio so it's been great to talk to you guys and uh, best wishes with everything and um, look after yourselves.
3: Thanks Jack. Take care. That is great. I would
2: say Jack, Jack Russell that is, you know, he's one of the sort of the icons of what I think of as my period of
3: cricket. He, that's, and he's great isn't he? He's very modest as well. He kept saying our oh, you know, with my limited batting ability, this is the guy that hooked Curly Ambrose for four. I mean, I'm telling everybody that.
2: But also, he did that. He had that. I mean, we didn't even ask him about that leave. That sort of very characteristic leave. Uh That it, you know, not like the sort of theatrics of Steve Smith. It was a kind of an organic sort of aspect to it. But he, you know, he achieved extraordinary things as a Test cricketer. But then also when after he finished playing for England he went when he went back to sort of Gl- gloucestershire he, he almost sort of reinvented himself in a sort of one day mode he was they were a really successful one day side i mean he would have played because of we forget how early t20 started as well he was a he played t20 or 2020 games as it would have been then but i to be honest the last thing i think i'll think about before i go to sleep tonight is him in full batting gear <laughs> in a sauna.
3: He was, to be fair to him, though, right? He's, everything he spoke about, watching the other keepers, going to the side screen, preparing like that, he was a bit ahead of his time because they obviously didn't have the analysis and stuff. And he obviously was very watchful and, and picked up things. I mean, the fact that he was in this steam room, can you imagine, like, Tommy, will you whack a bit more water on the coals there, pal? And would you mind throwing some left arm spin? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in your rub.
2: Yeah. Uh, can you open the door and take your full run up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, a fantastic cricketer. And I, you did very well to keep calm when he was talking about Athens as well, Mark.
3: Yeah. And the, the, the super rover. I mean, last thing, <laughs> worst thing you've been bitten by me wife.
2: Well, I mean, the, you know, there's a lot to unpack there. That thing, I quite like that. His frog leaping up the stairs as well. I didn't. Like to have gone. I wanted to know because also that's you know at the moment in lockdown, you're sort of looking for ways to keep fit that don't necessarily involve leaving the house. And I wonder if he would, would he sort of do frog jumps up the stairs like whenever he went upstairs, or he would set aside a time of the day. He goes right half three. I'm going to do twenty minutes on the stairs, or would he be, you know. Oh look! Do you want me to go and take these up to the attic, darling? And she'd be going, "Please, no! Not if that. Not if that's how you're going to be getting up the stairs.
3: <laughs> not the Christmas decorations, please! Put them down. <laughs> They're Not even bubble wrapped. <laughs> that shouldn't be no good for you, though, Miles. Not, not, a, not with your office.
2: Oh goodness, no, you're not. I uh, yeah, obviously I you know when I go down at the leisure centre where the sauna is there if there's, if there's no one around that I will <laughs> I uh, I put on the uh, put on the Monmouth kit and I just just said just practice you know I mean I'm no, I don't I'm never going to be asked to bowl more than one over I would have thought so I've only I've got to build up to it gently but that I mean who knows what the climate with global warming who knows what sort of conditions I'm going to be playing <laughs> in when I'm finally given the ball
3: and I loved them. great guest very good. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and thanks to Jack Russell, absolute legend. Um, Miles, I'll see you next time. Thanks again. Check us on all the social platforms, and we'll catch you again soon.
2: Oh, should be taken, and it's taken. Brilliant from Mark Wood. What a spell this has been. Middle, please, umpire is an electric production in association
0: with Playback Media. For all the latest cricket betting markets, in play odds, and promotions, visit WilliamHill.com or download the free app. 18 plus, please gamble responsibly. William Hill, it's who you play with.
1: Sports Social Podcast Network. 18 plus.